You're listening to the Grace Through Faith weekly podcast. For more information, go to mygtf.org. We hope you enjoy. Weren't those baptisms awesome? Give them another hand. You know, I love to see moms and dads uh, who want to uh, be in part of their uh, young people, their children's uh, baptism experience. And one of the things I was thinking of as I was watching um, these two young men get baptized by one, their mom, and the other, their dad, is my mom and my dad were the greatest evangelists in my life. And I know every single person doesn't have the same experience, but I'm just telling you, I'm really saying this for moms and dads and for grandmas and grandpas, the influence that you have in your house is way more powerful than the influence I have in your house. And so it's, it's something that, that we believe very firmly is, is it, in, in order for a family to serve the Lord, it's, it's a t- there's a togetherness there that comes and the pace is set by moms and dads, by grandmas and grandpas. And there's a powerful thing that begins and a legacy that begins to form over time in a home and in a family as we begin to embrace that. And so I'm just, uh, just really excited about what we're able to, to see this morning. And so if you have your Bibles, open those up to Acts chapter 9. Acts chapter 9. I just want to pray. I believe that God, um, there's, there's uh, somebody's life that's going to be changed today. And my prayer is that uh, it would be many people's lives that are changed today. And so if you would just join me in praying this morning. Father God, we thank you for your word and we believe it's powerful. Lord, we believe that it's active. And so we invite you with your word today to do surgery upon our hearts, God. And I pray, Father, for those who need um, to see hope today, God, that you would begin to paint a picture for them in their hearts, God, that is undeniable that it's you are the one that is, that is putting the brush strokes on their hearts. It's undeniable to them that you are the one who's speaking to them today, and I ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we're going to continue in the sermon series that I've been in, um, titled <clears throat> Impressive to God, and we're talking about living a life that's impressive to God. And really, as you kind of think about that, there's, there's this thing in um, the history of God and even in just uh, from, from generation to generation of people and even groups of people who have had exemplary faith. The whole, the whole chapter 11 of Hebrews, we talked about that a little bit last week. Um, all throughout the Bible, you see men and women who God highlights and, and he, he begins to use them as an example to the people around them because their faith is impressive and not just impressive to the world, but impressive to God himself. You look at Job and he had, his faith was so impressive that God said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job? You look at David and he had a, a devotion that was impressive so much so that God said, here is a man after my own heart. And so we've talked about what it looks like to have an, an impressive faith. And I don't know about you, but I want to have a life and live a life. And I know my life's not perfect, your life isn't perfect, but I want to live my life in such a way that my faith inspires others to follow Jesus. Amen. We've talked about what it looks like to have faith that believes in the invisible. And we talked about the Roman centurion. And, and, and here's this man who, who was under authority and he was an officer in the Roman guard. And, and he began to ask Jesus to do him a favor And he told Jesus, you don't even have to come to my house because I'm a man under authority as well. And all you have to do is say the word. And this man believed, he saw something in Jesus, that whenever Jesus laid his hands on the sick, 
that something invisible happened. That Jesus was the king of an invisible kingdom. You may not be able to perceive it with your eyes, but you can feel it with your spirit and your soul to begin to believe that there's something more than what we're experiencing in this life. Amen? Whenever you begin to believe in something more than just the material realm, it's impressive to God. It takes faith to believe in what you can't see. We talked last week about faith that believes in the master's goodness, and we talked about this Canaanite woman who came and she asked Jesus to heal her daughter who was, who was oppressed by demons, and she was having some major, major issues. And Jesus basically ignored her. He told her, he said, it's not right for me to take the children's bread. And he was talking about the nation of Israel. It's not right for me to take the children's bread and give it to the dogs. But this woman had faith that believed in the master's goodness so much that she pressed in. And she said, yes, but even the dogs get to eat crumbs from the master's table. Whenever she said that, Jesus was impressed. He was amazed. There was this wow inside of his heart. Listen, that's what we're talking about whenever we're talking about having an impressive, living a life that's impressive to God. Faith moves the heart of God like nothing else. Without faith, it is impossible, the book of Hebrews says. It is impossible to please God without faith. And so what I want to do today is I want to talk about faith that believes in second chances. And in order to do that, I want to, to, to look at the example of the Apostle Paul who's also known as Saul of Tarsus. If you're not real familiar with um, Saul of Tarsus and his background, um, he became the Apostle Paul, who we refer to as the Apostle Paul. Paul, um, you know, he, he basically wrote most of the New Testament, a giant in our faith. But he had a past, and he had a background. And if you don't know some of his background, we're going to look at that today in the Bible because one of the things that I think that you're going to see as you look at Saul's life is that he believed that God is a God of second chances. See, Saul was not just a nobody. He was actually a very prominent person. Even, in, even before he began to follow Jesus, he was a man of renown because he grew up in Tarsus, which was a, a metropolitan area. It was a trade city. And his family was pretty well-to-do in Tarsus, so much so that eventually he left Tarsus and moved to Jerusalem. He traveled to Jerusalem to study in one of the most prestigious schools at that time for Pharisees. He went to go get his ministry degree, so to speak. And he was able to study underneath one of the most famous rabbis, not only of his day, but in all of history, besides Jesus, by the way. One of the most famous rabbis, and his name was Gamaliel. And as he studied underneath Gamaliel, he became a Pharisee. And as such, he was, he was a zealous defender of the tradition of the Pharisees in Judaism. So much so that this is what Paul says about himself in Philippians chapter 3. He says, I was circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law of Pharisees, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, I was blameless. This was a man who took his faith in the traditions of the Jews, in the law of Moses, very seriously. So much so that whenever somebody tried to attack the law of Moses, he defended it to the point of violence. Now, there's a story about, as in the Bible, as you see Saul's, Saul's um, uh, his story kind of unfold in the book of Acts, and it begins with a murder, the murder of Stephen. And it wasn't just any murder, because he, in, the, in the law of Moses, 
there was this, this, this commandment from Moses that whenever somebody did begin to attack the law of God and they begin to blaspheme the law of God and begin to blaspheme God that the nation of Israel was to kill them, to stone them to death. And that's exactly what happened to Stephen. But the reason that I call it a murder is because these Jews that were opposing Stephen, who was preaching the gospel, if you read Acts chapter 6 and Acts chapter 7, and you begin to read Stephen's story, it says that he was, be, he was basically endued with this grace from God, and he would preach the gospel, and signs and wonders and miracles would begin to happen. People would be healed. People would convert from following the law of Moses to believing that Jesus was the Messiah. And it began to cause this stir among the Pharisees, so much so that they began to oppose his, his evangelism. They began to oppose his ministry, so much so that one day they confronted him, and they didn't like the response because Stephen was bold. And he began to stood up to them, so much so that it says in the, in the book of Acts that they could not refute his arguments. And so they got really frustrated, and they plotted a murder. See, what they did was they got a bunch of people to lie about Stephen, that he had blasphemed God, a lot like they did to Jesus. And they plotted this scheme, and they began to spread the word that Stephen was blaspheming God so that they could stone him. And this confrontation ended, if you look at the end of Acts chapter 7 and the beginning of chapter 8, with them killing Stephen as they stoned him, he looked up and he saw Jesus, and he died. And it says at the end, or at the beginning of Acts chapter 3, rather, that Saul of Tarsus was there, and he approved of everything that had happened. Now, that's a little bit of Saul's story. He was just kind of dipping his toe in the water, but he eventually began to kind of have, show his dark side. The dark side of the Apostle Paul was that he ravaged the church, the early church. It says in Acts chapter 8, verse 3, But Paul was ravaging the church, and entering house after house, he dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. Saul actively sought to damage and to tear down the ministry of Jesus and all of his followers. He hated Jesus, so much so that he was willing to see a man killed. Because he followed the Lord. As a matter of fact, in Acts chapter 9, where we're fixing to read, in verse 13, there's a man that I'm going to talk about. His name's Ananias. And God gave Ananias a word to go and to minister to Paul, or Saul of Tarsus. And he was intimidated, and Ananias says, Lord, I have heard from many about this man how much evil, say evil, how much evil he has done to your saints at Jerusalem. I don't know about you, but if somebody came up to me today and said, Jory, you're evil, it kind of shaped me a little bit. Like, well, I, you know, I kind of got some warts, and I'm not perfect, but evil's a little bit harsh. I want you, the reason I, I want to lay this out for you is because I want you to understand, Saul wasn't just kind of a bad guy. He had an axe to grind, and he was doing everything in his power to destroy the name of Jesus Christ. He would throw people in prison. He would murder them if it came down to that. He was trying to show, show his devotion to the law of Moses and prove something to himself in the world that he was a Pharisee of all the Pharisees and that he was loyal to God above anybody else and his zeal could not be questioned. 
So much so that it stepped into a place of deep, dark sin. Now, I told you all about Saul's dark side so that I could tell you and that we could actually read his redemption. And the story of how Saul came to become a follower of Jesus Christ and fully devoted to the cause of Christ. Look at Acts chapter 9. It says in verse 1, But Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues of Damascus so that if he found any belonging to the way, that was the typical name for a Christian in those days. They didn't call it the church or Christianity. It was the way, capital W. So that if he found anyone belonging to the way, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. And so he's going and asking for a badge from the high priest, authority to arrest people and bring them to prison in Jerusalem. Verse 4. And follow, I'm sorry, verse 3. Now as he went on his way, he approached Damascus and suddenly a light from heaven shone around him. And falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. But rise and enter the city and you will be told what you are to do. The men who were traveling with him stood speechless, hearing the voice, but seeing no one. Saul rose from the ground and and although his eyes were opened, he saw nothing. So they said to him, by the hand, so they led him, sorry, by the hand and brought him into Damascus. And for three days he was without sight and neither ate nor drank. Now, just for time's sake, let me kind of unpack for you what's going to happen next in the story. Ananias, who I read to you about a little bit earlier, he gets a prophetic word from the Lord. He's in a different city. And this is, uh, this is a man who was a prophet. And, and God spoke to Ananias and he said, I want you to rise up and I want you to travel to Damascus. And I want you to go to a house that's on Straight Street. And there's a man named Saul of Tarsus there. And what I want you to do is I want you to go in and I want you to tell him this prophetic word that I gave you. And I want you to lay your hands on him. And as soon as you do that, he's going to be able to see again. And so Ananias, that's whenever he kind of goes, yeah, but God, I've heard about this guy. He doesn't like us Christians very much. So much so that he's willing to throw people in prison and even bring murderous threats against everybody. And at the end of the story, basically, Ananias obeys. He goes to Damascus. He sees Saul. And he says, Saul, the Holy Spirit has told me to come here. And he lays his hands on him. And there's, it says in the next couple of verses that something like scales fell off of Saul's eyes. And he was able to see again. Now here's the question that I have. As I'm reading this, what was so impressive about Saul's faith to Jesus? Because I think that there was something that was impressive about Saul's faith. Something that was exemplary that I draw strength from, that I think that you'll draw strength from. And here's what I I believe was impressive about Saul's faith. Saul himself, he believed so firmly that God gives second chances that he believed in Jesus And he immediately began to serve Jesus. That's actually what it says. Look at verse 19. It says, In taking food, Saul was strengthened. And for some days, he was with the disciples in Damascus. Whenever it says some days, he stayed there for years. For some days, he was with the disciples at Damascus. And immediately, 
Immediately he proclaimed Jesus in the synagogue, saying, He is the Son of God. And all who heard him were amazed and said, Is this not the man who made havoc in Jerusalem of those who called upon his name? And has he not come here for this purpose, to bring them bound before the chief, of, chief priests? But Saul increased all the more in strength and confounded the Jews who lived in Damascus by proving that Jesus was the Christ. All who heard Paul speak in the synagogues were amazed. They were flabbergasted because this was a guy who not only was contradicting his message just so many days before, but he was vehemently, the same zeal that he was opposing Christianity, he was now serving Christianity. The same zeal that he was trying to destroy the name of Jesus, he was now proclaiming that he is the Son of God. Everything that he opposed, he now did this 180 degree shift and it just kind of set the world on their ears and they were like, isn't this the guy who so famously studied under Gamaliel and knows so much about the law of Moses and now he says he's a follower of Jesus? Now, I think that it's impressive whenever somebody repents and does a 180, but here's the thing that I think is so impressive. Saul had faith to believe in second chances for himself. Saul went on to host numerous historical revivals throughout the book of Acts. He planted at least 14 churches at the very least. He wrote 48% of the New Testament that you and I read. He took the gospel to the Gentiles and around Asia Minor. He was beaten for his faith in Christ. He was stoned and left for dead for his faith in Christ. And finally, Paul, at the end of his life, lost his head, literally, for his faith in Christ. Now, I don't know about you, but that impresses me. It fills me with this awe. It makes me want to live my life in such a way that I would serve God as zealously as Saul did. But it makes me ask another question. What about you? Do you believe in second chances? You know, sometimes I think that it's easier for us to believe in second chances for others, right? Unless they wronged you, right? Then you're like, go get them, God, you know? But whenever you know, know somebody and you know that they've messed up and, and maybe it's not the worst sin in the world, it's a little bit easier to believe in second chances for them. But whenever you start talking about yourself, sometimes we disqualify ourselves from redemption. Sometimes we fall down and we, 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 we're filled with the self-loathing because we've made that mistake again and again and again. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? This is what the book of Proverbs says, and this is what I think was so impressive about Paul's faith. The book of Proverbs said, even though a righteous man falls down seven times, he gets up again. And it's that ability to believe again that, well, God, would you give me another chance? Would you restore what I've messed up one more time? And that faith that believes in chance after chance. You know, Peter came to, his, came to Jesus one day and he said, Master, how many times should I forgive my brother that wrongs me? Seven times? And he's like, try seven times 70. I'm like, ugh, I don't like that answer. How many times will God forgive you? How many times will he help you restore the things that you break? Paul had completely opposed the ministry of Jesus. He had watched 
Stephen. I can't imagine the times that he maybe thought about that as he was closing his eyes and going to sleep at night. He watched a man get stoned to death, which is an ugly way to die. But he believed that God would give him redemption. I don't know if you remember Peter, whenever Jesus called Peter to follow him, and there's this miracle that happened, and Peter was fishing, and they had fished all night, and Jesus came up to him and said, hey, if you'll cast out a little bit, I'd like to say something to the crowd, and while you're casting out, if you'll just go ahead and drop your nets again, I think you'll catch some fish. And Peter's like, Master, we've been you know, up all night fishing, and we're kind of tired. And he says, but since it's you, since you're asking, Rabbi, I'll do it. And so he throws his nets in the water, and he almost drowns because they catch so many has to call James and John over, and they have to you know, fill both boats, and they have to help him. And it says that Peter stood up, and as Jesus is standing in his boat, this is Luke chapter 4 if you want to go read this later on. As Jesus is standing in Peter's boat, Peter says this to Jesus. He says, away from me, for I am a sinful man. See, it's really easy to say that we believe in second chances until you mess up royally. And Peter, I don't know what Peter was carrying around in his conscience, but it weighed on him so much that he said, I, I can't, I can't follow you. And Jesus looked at him and he said, from this day forward, you will become a fisher of men. See, there was a destiny in Peter's life that God had for him. But listen, if Peter would have refused to believe in that second chance, he would not lay hold of that destiny. What is the kingdom missing out on? Because there's many of us who are having a hard time believing in a second chance for ourselves. That's what's impressive about Saul's faith to me. Listen, we all fall short. Romans 3.23 says that we all fall short. All of us have fallen short of the glory of God. All of us sin. All of us mess things up from time to time. Isaiah 53.6 says, all we, like have sheep, all we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. We get lost. We get selfish. We do stupid things from time to time. But maybe today, just maybe you could find the faith to believe that God would give you a second chance. Now, I don't think that God wants to give you a second chance so that you can go do you all over again. The reason that God wants to give you a second chance is so that you can undoubtedly, with zeal and with passion, follow Jesus. So that you can have that 180 moment like Saul did where everything that you were doing out of selfishness and out of evil and out of darkness, you now trade that and exchange that for the life that comes only through Jesus Christ. And you set your foot on a path to follow Him, just like Saul did. But not only that, immediately get in the game. You see, that's what's so awesome about Saul's story is he sees Jesus on the road to Damascus. It changes his life. He does his 180 degree turn. He repents, but he does not disqualify himself of, from being used of God. It says immediately he went to the synagogue and began to testify that Jesus was the Son of God, that Jesus was the Christ. Basically, he gets up publicly immediately. Say immediately because it's pretty powerful. 
immediately he stands up and says, I was wrong. Jesus is the Messiah. He is the way, the truth, and the life. Everything that he said about himself is true. And there's something about that immediately that sometimes we hold back from because we have a hard time believing in second chances. Well, you know, I've, I've done a lot of bad things, Pastor, and I just kind of need to live some of those things down, and maybe I need to take care of some things. Listen, it doesn't matter what sin you've been trapped in. It does not disqualify you from proclaiming to the nations that Jesus is the Christ. Immediately, not after he went to school for four years, not after he went and apologized to everybody that he wronged, immediately he began to proclaim publicly that he was wrong about Jesus and that everybody should follow him too. Now, here's the thing that I, I feel like God wants to do this morning. Is I just want to pray for a second. And so I don't know who's going to play the keyboard, but somebody is back here. I saw her earlier. What about the worship team? Yeah. Great. If you guys go on here and come on up. I'm going to ask you to just close your eyes. It's almost kind of like I was praying this morning and, and I, I got this word from the Lord, kind of like Ananias. And so that's kind of what I want to just pray over you today because I think that God wants you to know something. And there's, there's people that are listening to me right now in the room and even online that today is the day where you start to believe that God will give you a second chance. And here's the word that I believe that God gave me this morning is that God is standing in the middle of your path. Just like he was for Saul. Today, God is standing in the middle of your street. The road that you've been on, I don't know what that looks like. But God is standing in the middle of the road. And as that confrontation takes place, I think that there's some... Something that happens in our heart that we're filled with dread. It's called the fear of the Lord. But there's this dread that kind of comes on us like, oh no, he knows what I've been doing. The reason that God stands in your road today is because he wants to give you a second chance. He wants to give you an opportunity to embrace a life with him, not against him. A life that's lived for him, not for yourself. Not only is God standing in the middle of the, your road today, but he's also standing in your boat, just like he was for Peter. And some of you are here today and you feel in your heart like this, God, I can't, I can't, I've messed up too bad that I can't follow you. But God wants you to know that he's here today to give you a second chance. Now I want to pray for you. And as I pray for you, I just want to ask you, if you're hearing this and you know that you need a second chance and you're starting to believe that God would give you one, would you just begin to raise your hand? I'm not going to have you come stand in front of the whole church. I just want to pray for you. Father, there's many people. You see their hearts today. You see their hearts open towards you who are believing as they raise their hand, God, they're extending their faith to believe that you would give them a second chance. 
And so, Lord, I pray in the name of Jesus that you would give them the courage and the boldness to turn around 180 degrees. I pray, Father, that you would not only give them the courage to, to turn, make a 180 degree turn in their life, but that you would also give them the courage and the strength to immediately, immediately begin to serve you with everything inside of them. To boldly proclaim to their friends and their family members that you are the way. That you are the one who has set their foot on the right path. Father, I pray in Jesus' name that today would be the day that you convince them that you want to give them a second chance. And I ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. If you would stand with me this morning. Pastor Bo is going to conclude service for us today. And if you have some communion elements, we're going to celebrate. We typically end our services with this today to remember of the Lord's Supper. And so if you, if you need communion, if you would just raise your hand, we'll have some, somebody come around and pass those out to you. But as Pastor Bo and Pastor Mercy lead us in worship, if you would just open your communion elements and focus on the Lord.